Advent maps on to something familiar to us. A guest is coming, and thank God you have a little bit of warning. <laughs> if it's guests, you can clean up the house quickly, go out and get some drinks and treats. If it's grandchildren, you can set out the Play-Doh and hide anything that breaks. <clears throat> and so what we celebrate here maps onto that. God, whatever God's being is, becomes put into a human being, so embodied, and comes into a moment, like a specific place, a specific time, a moment in human history. It's an event that occurs. The story tells us there was some warnings, some announcements, so at least a few people were aware and could get ready in some fashion or other. But there are also differences. Because however that occurred, whatever it was, God's being becoming distilled into a person, we also think of God as just being present. The being of God is present to the cosmos, present to humankind always. God is attentive to us always in an ongoing way. God, strangely, seems to be deeply interested in lovingly relating to us all the time. God wants to be communicating to us. So part of what we do when we celebrate Advent is we lean into this reality that it's a kind of occurrence that God wants to be producing all the time. God would and could always be coming to you. God always has something that God would be saying to you were you in a place of being able to hear it, being able to receive it. And so the way we celebrate Advent is in some sense a fiction or an accommodation to human limitations, right? Because what we're saying is, yeah, God would always be doing this, but I can't be paying attention that much. I can't always be hearing the new thing God would be saying to me. I have to go make some lunch. I have to bring the kids to school, I have to work, I have to watch the football game, I have to recover from my illness. And so what we do is we say, those of us who sort of live the rhythm of our Christian calendar, we say, well, okay, at least once a year, I'm going to lean into this more deeply. There may be other opportunities, we're always providing them ways to encounter God, to hear the thing that God might be saying to you, the Advent occurrence that God would be bringing to you. But we're saying as a baseline, sort of as a foundation, as a part of our rhythm, once a year, we're going to lean into this reality more deeply. Pay attention, see what God might be saying now to me. What is the new thing that God would be bringing to me? which also highlights one other aspect that's meaningful for us this morning, and that's that you have some control. Whether God comes to you is not dependent just on whether God made the connecting flight and so gets here, but it's dependent on you. If God is always present, always attentive, always interested in lovingly relating to you, You can influence that. You can engage in practices that can facilitate hearing what God might be saying to you, receiving the communication, the message, the new thing, what God would put into you that God wants to bring into the world through you. And so this morning, 
I'm just leading us in paying attention to that. I'm going to offer three stories that produce three ways, three practices that can facilitate you being receptive to whatever it is God would say to you. And these might be things I hope that you would pay attention to over the next month. We have a month where we pay attention to Advent, celebrate it, think about it. God coming into the world, God coming to you, God coming to us as a community, God coming to humankind. What are some ways that you can facilitate this happening for you? So that's my hope. Three stories. I'll pause briefly at the end of each of them to give a moment of reflection. See if something gets stirred in you from the story, from what seems to me to be meaningful from it. Hopefully to lead you into a time of personal reflection, deeper connection with God. So... Story number one, the chief preparer of the way for Jesus, as Jesus merges into adulthood, and this will be relevant to our conception of Advent, is John, John the Baptist, a a relative of Jesus, and his preparing the way for people who experience Jesus goes like this. So three stories, I've condensed them all for the sake of the morning. Here's the first one. John went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make God's paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? I'm thinking, well, you, John, but (laughs) even now the ax is lying at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then should we do? In reply, John said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? John said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. So John has some very particular and precise ideas about how to get ready for the coming of Jesus. Jesus is bringing something. You will want to receive it. Here are some things you might do to facilitate that. But I have to say, so when you look at Jesus and the people around him, it seems to me that almost nobody completely understood who he was or what he was doing, right? It may be, as we've leaned into dismantling patriarchy, my sense is that women, as a rule, understood him best. But John the Baptist was also somebody who Jesus deeply appreciated. Nonetheless, John was also confused by Jesus. There's specific moments in our stories where Jesus, where John sends messengers to Jesus saying, 
this isn't quite what I thought it was going to be. Are you really the one we were to expect? And Jesus sends him an answer that essentially says, yeah, look around you at all the good things happening. But I think what we encounter as John tries to prepare people for Jesus is one of John's misconceptions, right? We heard David talk last week about competition and that in the heat of competition and rivalry and us versus them, the disciples as us wanted to bring down fire on them, right? If you're not with us, ah, we've got power now and fire, that'll be great. And I think John has the same thing in mind, that when God comes to you and says, yes, I'd like to come into your life in a deeper way, I'm here, John still has this conception that, Jesus is gonna, that God or Jesus is going to scrutinize you, see if you are or aren't doing a right or wrong thing, and produce consequences based on that. So if you don't, do the right thing, or if you do the wrong thing, God's going to examine that and produce consequences. Now, I don't think, though, that that's how Jesus actually worked. Jesus intentionally pulled away from that kind of consequentiality, producing fire, condemnation, judgment, which I think was a part of what was so baffling about him, which made him confusing to everybody, okay? I think what Jesus was about was something much closer to, so it wasn't, if you don't, God won't, but it was much more, until you do, God can't. So when I look at the things that John is instructing to his people, there are a number of ways to organize them. You could say, well, John is talking about, pay attention to others instead of yourself. If somebody comes in need and you've got plenty, think of them, see them, pay attention. there's an economic element to what John is talking about. Do the right thing with your money. (laughs) But there's also something, too, that's just really straightforward. Stop doing wrong things. I think John has this conception, and everybody around him would have agreed, that we're all in this system, and we need to flow in the system. And the system asks us, like, to make it work for us, many of us just, we kind of do bad things, but we all know it, and it's just okay. So a tax collector takes a little bit too much money. A soldier uses their power to grab some money from somebody else. And everybody in the room knows, yeah, that's what we do. You actually took some from me, but I get it. And so what John is saying is stop doing that. Stop justifying those things. Stop participating in the wrong things that you do to make social, cultural life work for you. And I hear that and I think, yeah, I can resonate with that. That makes sense. It's interesting how Jesus related to John. To whatever degree John missed who Jesus was, Jesus is still John's most passionate defender. When people critique John, Jesus jumps into the fray and says, you don't understand who he was or what he was about. He got me more than anybody. And so I hear this invitation from John if you want to get ready for Jesus, for Jesus coming to you, for God coming to you through Jesus, you might think about paying attention to other people instead of yourselves. You might think about doing the right thing with your money. You might also just examine how you participate in human systems and the ways that you've given yourselves to them and, you know, in ways that are corrupting. 
right, where you're doing something that you know you shouldn't be doing, but you just do it, and you've been doing it for a long time, and uh, everybody does it. And so one way to make room for what God might say to you is to stop doing that. Because while you're doing that, while I'm doing that, I am justifying it. I'm telling myself why it's okay. I'm pushing away voices that would say stop doing that <laughs> because I want to keep doing it, right? <clears throat> so possibility number one for us this morning is just to lean into that. A number of options here. Choose to pay attention to others when they come to you in need. Choose to do something different with your money. Or if there are ways that you participate in a system where you're just straightforwardly doing something wrong, try not to do it for a month. This is not consequentiality. We're not talking about fire coming down from heaven. Just try to not do it for a month and see what happens. So let's pray for a minute. So we come to you this Advent, Jesus. We want to hear from you, receive from you. We want to experience you more deeply. Help us to be stirred by something from the words of John. To pay attention to others, to do better with our money, or to just stop doing something that we know we shouldn't be doing for a month. Okay, story number two. It perhaps produces of the three stories this morning the most simple, straightforward instruction. It's a familiar one. It's the visit um, from the magi, the astrologers who come to see and pay attention to Jesus, to his advent. So it says, In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, magi came from the east Magi from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star in the east and have come to pay him homage. When they had heard, so they get information from King Herod and King Herod's advisors about where this was predicted to happen. When they had heard the king, they set out and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen in the east until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So this way of engaging with Advent, again, is perhaps the most straightforward. Learn something. So these were individuals who studied the stars to help them understand what's going on down here on Earth. And whatever you think of that as an approach to learning or gaining knowledge, the basic idea, again, is just learn something, study something, get information about some aspect of Jesus, of God coming to us through Jesus as an entry into the meaningfulness of it. So you might study what it means that there were shepherds and that the angels from heaven chose to appear to shepherds on a hillside. You might study kingship. Why was King Herod so threatened by a little baby coming? 
What about that caused him terror and the need to produce murder as a way of contending with that? And you might lean into, instead of otherizing Herod, (laughs) how could that be me? In what way might I be threatened by the advent of this seemingly innocent little thing that could cause me to respond that way? You might study, again in this moment for us of dismantling patriarchy, the centrality of the women in the story. What does it mean that the women surrounding the coming of Jesus have such a powerful voice? Are the perceivers, the declarers of this incredible event? Right? Any of these things can then give you a window into Jesus, into the meaningfulness of Jesus' coming, and how that connects to you and to me. So Jesus, if there's a way this Advent season that you would stir us to study something, just to learn who you are, what it meant when you came, to give some time to that, I pray that you would bring that to us this morning. Okay, story number three. This will be very familiar to us. So the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, yeah, you're going to have an Advent experience unlike anything else. God is both going to come into you in this quite remarkable way. And then God means to come through you into the world. right? So it's an Advent for you, and then through you, it's an Advent into the world that God is bringing to you. (laughs) Uh, And it's both startling, unheard of, and somewhat scandalous. And then the angel drops to Mary this little thing as the angel is preparing to depart. And I think this is God's knowledge to God's awareness of how social we are. Okay. The angel says, and now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. (laughs) Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So I hear this story. The angel drops to Mary this information, and she comes to be carrying something completely unexpected, inexplicable, strange, unusual, scandalous, right? So this is her reality. And then the angel says to her, and again, I think the angel understands sociality, And I'm leaning to, in my mind, into the awareness of maleness and femaleness, dismantling patriarchy, that part of our story right now, that women and femaleness do better with social communication, just with being social, with when there is something in you that you don't understand or that you're confused about or that you need help with, you go and you tell somebody else about it. And you go tell somebody who you know will listen well. So I hear, like Mary, she's sort of 
the angel has said the angel's thing, and Mary says, yeah, thanks, that's just great news, uh, you know, I'll do well with that. As soon as the angel leaves, Mary is off like a shot to visit Elizabeth. It's unclear whether Joseph even knows at this point that anything is up. You know, Mary might just say, yeah, I'll be there for the wedding. Don't worry. I'm going to go visit my relative, my aunt, Elizabeth. And so she's carrying with her this thing from God, and she is carrying the confusion, the scandalousness, the potential trouble of it, right? Troublingness. So she enters the house of Zechariah and greets Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. So blessed, 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 joy, 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 joy. I think of Mary carrying her uncertainty, her burden, her confusion, the unlikeliness, again, the scandalousness of it, into that space with Elizabeth. And Elizabeth just erupts with, this is awesome. This is good. You are blessed. I am blessed. This is an occasion for joy. (laughs) And from that, Mary then, says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for God has looked with favor on the lowly state of God's servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. It's like she can hear it, right? She's told her friend, her friend has listened well. Her friend has responded with affirmation, with joy, And Mary can hear it now. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. (laughs) And concludes, and Mary remained with her about three months, and then returned to her home. Like, yeah, I'd stay for a long time too, (laughs) in that space, right? This wasn't just a weekend visit. So I think of that for you and me, as we lean into this Advent season. My belief is, again, this is representative, that God has put things in you that maybe you don't quite understand, you wonder about, you have an inkling of. They're either too big or too grand or too troubling, too different, who knows what. But so you struggle to even give voice to them. There's something God has put in you. But that God would also mean to bring into the world through you. An idea, a thought, a voice, a possibility, a practice, a doing And what God seems to be inviting us into is to share that. That maybe you know somebody who would be a good listener. Maybe you know somebody who would hear you. Maybe you know somebody who's had similar experience. And so the invitation to you and me is to do that. To think of that person. To at some point in the next month, if there's something like that in you that just seems too much, to go tell that person, And the other invitation is to be the Elizabeth in the story, too. That if this is who we are as a faith community, and somebody comes to you and says, yeah, I think this is in me, that you do that kind of listening, that kind of thumbs up. (laughs) This is great. I hear you. I bless you. So pray with me one more time. 
So we want to be this kind of community, God, where we in this season lean into hearing you, to making space for you, to creating room in our busy lives for the possibility of something new coming to us through you, that this is what Advent is about. Help us to put into practice the relating of Mary and of Elizabeth, that we don't stay alone in our thoughts and feelings and our possibilities, but we race off to find somebody who we think might listen well, who we think might understand what's going on, what it is that's in us, what you mean to bring out into the world through us. And help us, too, to be Elizabeths with each other, to be those kinds of listeners. So we give you this moment, God, to stir these sorts of thoughts in us right now. So God, may this carry us forward into a season of reflection and learning and connecting with you, hearing from you, letting you come to us this Advent season. Amen.